On today's show, we celebrate the last great Italian centre-forward, a man with one iconic celebration, three careers and too much talent. Also, as a bit of Italy-Portugal, we gin up on the Genoa derby and answer your questions in this golazzo. Joining us on Galazzo, as usual this week, we have James Horncastle. Hello, James. Nice to see you, James. And nice to see you, Gabriele Marcotti. Delighted to be back, James. Time now for a touch of class. Stand by for action. Yes, yes, yes. Luca Toni, hero of Berlin, Gab, twice City A's top scorer, once the Bundesliga tour Jäger Cannon, a man who's had 15 clubs and played for 22 years, a man who's loved, but I'm going to suggest is not respected the way some players are respected. Why? Why, James? Why is he not respected? He feels he's not respected. I feel that they don't take him seriously the way they do... Boy, they could need him now, no? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. What would you say, Gab? Am I wrong in that? I mean, I think it's it's like a classic late bloomer situation, right? And one of the things that we have in Italy, especially sort of the football fraternity in Italy, we're generally convinced that, you know, we may not be, as a footballing nation, as talented as other countries or whatever else, but we understand the game. We understand basics of, of, of tactics. We know how to scout individuals, blah, blah, blah. And so whenever you get these late bloomers, it always takes them time to get it uh, accepted because invariably they've been overlooked by other clubs. And, you know, it, there's a bunch of people to whom it happened. Obviously, I'm, I'm top of my head, I'm thinking of Fabio Liverani, but you can think of, of, of others, right, who just don't get appreciated. Mm. Marco Materazzi, another great example, I think, of somebody Ibrahimovic. Who, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think that's exactly it. And for example, when he when he breaks through at Palermo, the comment by the manager is, who's this guy, the lifeguard? Yeah. He's already, what, 26, 27 at that point, is he? He was, yeah. yeah, and he goes down to the second division. He's already kind of proven himself at Vice and scoring a bunch of goals, moving to Brescia for a ton of money, having one really good season at Brescia where, you know, he scored, what, 13 14, goals. 13 goals in Serie A. Playing alongside... Robbie Baggio. But, I mean, he was made to look bad because they basically sold Dario Hubner for him. And Hubner, the following season, goes to Piacenza and is top scorer in the league. Right. This is also the whole thing, that this is a guy who, I think, I don't know if it was at Empoli or, or, or before that, but at one point he even thought of, of retiring when he was, like, 20 because mm-hmm. he'd had enough people saying, like, you know, you're just a big lump. But if you look at his scoring records early in his career... You know, you see him scoring two goals here, three goals there in like 20 appearances. People don't realize that that's because a lot of it was he was just being sent on at the end of games and when the teams just started lumping the ball to the big man. And, you know, you don't get minutes, you don't, you don't score. And I think that was a big part of it. And then it came back at the Euros when Donadoni was the, was the Italy coach, so it would have been 2008, 2008 mm. when there was that famous game, was it against Holland, where... With the offside. With the offside, but also, like, I saw Italy absolutely mullered them in that game. Like, really, really dominated, right? And and then, you know, you get morons who just look at the scoreline, like, oh, look, clockwork orange, Holland are back, oh, look, yeah, because, you know, we know how well that Holland team went on to do. Um, 
but where he just wasn't finishing, right? So this idea of the big man with, with, with not much ability and whatever else. Badly coordinated. Yeah, and people like him, when they miss, they look really bad. It's, it's a Peter Crouch principle, right? Like when Peter Crouch misses something, he looks uncoordinated and he right. looks weird, but that's because, you know, when you're over six foot three, six foot four, it's really hard to look graceful unless mm. you're Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay. Mm. Palermo, the, the, the breakthrough. Yeah, I mean, to the some extent. breakthrough, I think. No, really? Yeah, okay. Because at Brescia, I mean, he does have a good year. And you have to remember, and Tony talked about this when he was Capo Canigliari the second time in Serie A at 38. He was saying that the reason why he did that at Verona was because standards have slipped in the league. Um, people defend differently these days. They're much more prepared to play out from the back. There's mistakes, and that gave him all the more opportunities when he's come at sort of getting into the league with Vicenza and then Brescia, mm. standard defending, the approach that opponents took to games, I think it was very different and it was harder to score. So to get 13 in that in that season with Badshaw, and the reason why Mazzone picked him um, ahead of Hubner was because, contrary to all those things we've just discussed about the perception of Tony, he was actually able to play with the guys around him. I mean, Eddie Reyes is best back-to-goal striker of that generation. Really? Um, just in terms of pinning centre-backs and bringing others into play. Now, later, of course, you know, he would not be that selfless. He would go for goal himself. Um, the Palermo and Fiorentina years, and he was a massive success, as you mentioned, at Bayern. I think it was only when Lewandowski came around that something there was a foreign player who scored more goals in a single season than he did. But he breaks the 30-goal barrier at Palermo, which hadn't been done in Serie B since 1950. And he does it again at Fiorentina, and that hadn't happened for 47 years in Serie A. And this is pre-Messi Ronaldo kind of blowing our minds of scoring 50 goals a season. It's mm. an incredible accomplishment, really. You know the, the European Golden Shoe Award, which yeah. is what it is? And I think he might be one of the very last people to win it before Messi or, or Ronaldo. And, and, you know, and, and, and I, I think that's... Totti won it uh, the year after, I think. Yeah, so but we're doing 2005 and there's 05 and 06, right? Mm. And then those two guys take off. I mean, that, that I think gives you a little bit of context. Bear in mind, it's not like he was the centerpiece of a free-scoring Juventus side either when he went and did it. Mm. So I think James Nix makes a really good point. He was, I think because fundamentally he was very humble growing up, so many people pointed out his flaws that... He really worked to be that kind of unselfish type of striker until he said, you know what, like enough of laying the ball off. Like I'm going to take this and I'm going to score. And all of a sudden his scoring numbers went way, way up. All the glory that uh, then followed as he as he makes the move to to Florence and he gets 31 goals and and, and then earns his place in the, uh, in the Italy side for the World Cup where you were surprised, and I was too, Gab, that he actually made the, the team of the tournament because I thought going into the World Cup in Germany, he was going to be the big star. But I, I recall it's quite a muted affair from him. Marcello Lippi in 2006 did something that was very, very Italian, right? It's this whole, or very democristiano, as we like to say in Italy. Like, all right, we have to keep everybody happy. Mm-hmm. So let's, we're going to bring all the big stars to the World Cup. And so we're going to bring Del Piero and Totti. You know, we have to bring Gilardino, uh, of course, as well. Inzaghi. Luca Toni, Pippo Inzaghi. Yeah, Quinta. Uh, and then, then he brings <laughs> he brings the yak, Yaquinta along because I think he sort of admitted this, right? He's like, all right, I need a guy who's going to work, who's just going to be happy to be there, right? So, you know, I kind of like, I don't want to be dissing 
Yaquinta also because, as we've discovered since, he has access to firearms, many of them. Um, but I, I think it was very much, and he wasn't a bad player, but it was very much that idea that, all right, I need to get the right balance between sort of divas or, or older players, guys who might get hurt. And so you've got six strikers. And five of them are, it's fair to say, stars with big clubs behind them. The sixth one is Yaquinta, who still had a big club behind him. So he was very judicious, obviously, about how he doled out his playing time. And he chose the right guys in the right situations. And this is an absolute master story. I mean, you go back to the, to the semifinal against Germany when he sends on two strikers late in the game to go and pin them back when Italy have been defending for, for much of the game. I mean, that... This kind of stuff is peak lippy, right? But Luca Toni, for that game, that quarterfinal against against the Ukraine, where that was the game that Barzagli played because Materazzi was suspended, having been unfairly and stupidly sent off against Australia. Yeah, and I want to go back to this. I don't want to go and like upset my Antipodean friends, and mm. we can go and have endless debates about the Grosso penalty at the end. But go back and see what Marco Materazzi was sent off for, okay? It's on YouTube. Anybody can see it. Materazzi basically ends up, you remember, he ends up basically slide tackling, uh, it was a teammate, it was Perrotta or Gattuso or something. He doesn't even, it's not even an opponent, right? He just goes in incorrectly, brings down his own guy, right? And then gets sent off. Anyway, so that was kind of an emergency situation. And I, he looked at it and he's like, all right, this guy's out. I've got Barzagli back there. Materazzi gives me something on set pieces as well. You know what? Let's put Luca Toni in there. And it was brilliant. And it made all the difference in, in that game. Two goals there for Luca Toni. I think he got three in the tournament as a whole, is that right? Top scorer, no? It, with Italy. In with Italy, Italy yeah. right. Okay. With Materazzi. Yeah, bizarrely. Yeah. But all the strikers scored in that tournament, mm. which puts today's team in, in stark relief. Well, yeah, we'll talk about today's team a bit later on. But back then, so he's now an established star, and he already is because, of course, that incredible season, 31 goals with Fiorentina. But then Calciopoli is busy breaking. And it has a, a, a massive impact in, in so many ways on so many clubs, so many players. And, and one of the effects is that Fiorentina are given a heavy points penalty. He stuck around for a season, actually, before he made the move to the Bundesliga, leading almost the exodus, because there were a lot of players who went over, no? Uh, Barzali. Barzali. Went and won the league with Wolfsburg. Um, what's his Zaccardo. name? Zaccardo. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Molinaro. Molinaro, sorry. Yeah. Molinaro. Stuttgart. But... He really makes a mark there. Tell us what happens at Bayern then, James. Well, I mean, he, he can't stop scoring. I mean, he breaks all kinds of, as I said, records in terms of uh, being the most prolific foreign player that they've ever seen. Has this incredible relationship with, uh, with Frank Ribery. There's some great YouTube That's stuff. That's an of, amazing YouTube thing. Yeah. Have you seen this, Gab? I'm sure you have. Yeah. So um, if you haven't, listeners, go and seek it out because it, it's... The, it, it's them having a bit of a banter about the fact that one of them is world champion and the other one lost in the final. It, it kind of develops into this... this, this, this Bromance. I was going to say a... a 
swinging contest where they try and they try and perform feats of football, trying to kick the ball into a waste bin, trying to kick the ball into some part of the stadium that it's difficult to get it into, and it ends up with them at the very highest level of the Allianz Arena, trying to kick the ball. What about a hundred meters down into the goal at the other end? It's genius, and everything is brilliant. And there's this wonderful adult friendship between two men. It is very much a bromance, the platonic bromance. And then the Grinch comes along and ruins everything. Well, Big Louie. And yeah, and he's, he's, he's the Grinch of the situation. Talk the about a swinging contest. Right, well, that's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, along comes Louis van Gaal and Tony, who had, had moved to the Bundesliga. It was, what, 30-31 at that point? And conquered the league. Uh, they reached the UEFA semi-finals. They, they won the domestic treble in the 2007-2008 uh, season. He gets 39 goals in all competitions that year. So Van Hal turns up and, and doesn't like the look of him. I think there's injuries as well. Well, apparently, yeah. There's injuries, there's Mario Gomez, you know, mm. but like... The situation sours very, very quickly. And I think it's actually kind of... Let me put it this way, right? The two people who've been meanest and most hateful about Luca Toni, and one of them I'm sure we'll get to, are Louis van Gaal and Enrico Preziosi. I, I think to me... But wait, uh, what did Preziosi do? So a few years later, he moves to Genoa, and he has a poor season because the team is terrible, because Preziosi's there, so God decides to punish Genoa. And he comes out and he's like, oh, you know, what mark would you give Luca Toni's season? He's just like, I'd give him a three out of ten. Same number as the goals he scored this season. You're horrendous. You're just a horrendous person mm. going and like dumping all over like a guy who's supposed to be an asset for your team. We presumably play. So of them makes you stupid as well. So just, just think about it a little bit, right? His two nemeses in football mm. are Louis van Gaal mm -hmm. and Enrico Preziosi. Right. I think there's a lesson in there. There certainly is. The other enemy he had was the Catholic Church, of course. Do you remember this story? No. So when he leaves um, Bayern, the German tax authorities sued him for 1.7 million euros. The story being that when he'd signed, when he'd, you know, registered with Bayern as a player, he ticked the box saying that he was a Roman Catholic. Um, so he had to make some Or at least his accountant did, yeah. And then basically you have to pay taxes to the church under German law, apparently. So he, he then, I think, sued his uh, former tax advisor and got most of the money back. But it's just bizarre, this, uh, this, this clause in, in yeah. German fiscal policy. I remember policy. Raphael Honigstein was, was furious that, you know, Luca Toni was maybe taking money away from Bavaria in that sense, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah I, and that because sure. of course there's no history of people in Bayern like, <laughs> hiding income elsewhere. <laughs> anyway, but so so he leaves Bayern, and it does appear that that might be that he's had a glorious time at Fiorentina. He's won a World Cup. He's done brilliantly at Bayern, but now he's he's sent on a series of loans. First of all, to Roma, the second half of that that final season at, at Bayern, where as, as we mentioned the other day, he very nearly derails the Mourinho treble at Inter. He also scores this famous goal against um, Inter, one of only five for Roma, but in incredibly famous, almost as much, I think, for the commentary that, that, 
Carlos Zampa. To be fair, Zampa did that for every Roma goal, no matter how good or bad. So, <laughs> but I think the thing is that whole passage of his career, you, you do feel that it's drifting into decline. That yeah. that his body's breaking down on him. Right. Yeah, he goes from. Roma, Genoa, and then... Yeah, so five goals at Roma, three at Genoa, then two at Juventus, and then he goes to Al Nazar. Yeah. Uh, Juventus, let's be clear, though. Mm, like, he doesn't When play. he moved to Juventus, he moved to go back to being what he was when he was 19. In other words, like, the big man to send on at the end of games and, and, and whatever else. Like, he was central to Juve's plans. Mm. I mean, he does... And then I'm talking, the... oh, by the way, yeah, there's another guy. <sighs> <laughs> Who comes in and decides, this guy, nah, he can't play, out. It's your pal and mine, Antonio Conte. Yeah, he right? sent him a text. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Diego Costa, like. Oh, no. yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Tony did score the first goal at the Allianz Stadium. That's true. That's true. Uh, against and he, also finished, yeah. he also finished his career with a goal against Juventus as well mm. for Verona. All right, so as we say, it seems like he's kind of winding down. And then in 2013, at the age of 36, he joins a newly promoted Verona side who have just scraped their way back into the city after year, what, a long time now, Gab. Yeah, this is when like we had the illusion that there was serious money and a serious plan behind Verona and they would come back and, and kind of reach their natural dimension, sort of an Atalanta team, like something or Torino, something more than like a provincial side, but a side that could push. It all went downhill because of what we now know about the owners. But but what did you think when, when Tony signed on there? What did you expect from him that year? I didn't expect much because um, when he comes back from Al Nazareth, he basically is hanging around the was the Atta Hotel, which mm. is where all the deals are done on deadline day in Italy. And he's casting around for a club. And I think, I'm pretty sure he's got some kind of promises from Siena. And then... Fiorentina, meanwhile, are negotiating for Berbatov, and Berbatov kind of goes AWOL because Juventus hijacked the deal. So but Berbatov, but at this point, was sitting in the airport where? In Turin, was it? No, I think he was on a runway in Germany somewhere, right. mulling over what to do in, in, in some private jet. And then it's essentially decides, I'm not going to join either Juventus or Fiorentina. He then moved to Fulham. Yeah. Um, and so Fiorentino at a loose end, they see Tony's there and basically say, do you fancy coming back? But again, he, yeah, he plays sort of six months there. Nothing really works out. And they say as a gesture, why don't you move upstairs, you know, work alongside our sporting director. And he's like, no, I want to keep going. So he's 36 uh, at this stage. Yeah. So as you mentioned, as you mentioned, Jeremy, I mean, when he went to Verona, I thought this is just, again, just the kind of him sort of fighting against the dying of the light. But raging, man, raging, yes. I'm not Welsh. I'm not Dylan Thomas. All right, but he, he was not going to go gentle in that good night. No, no, and he didn't no, he because didn't. A, a year and a half later, he's top scorer again, the oldest ever capo cannoniere in yeah. Serie. Verona that season. I mean, again, that looked like a masterstroke at the time. They also signed Iturbe, mm. remember when and who he, went on to such brilliant things at Roma. <laughs> yeah, Roma. I don't think there was anything sophisticated about how they played. They would be your kind of classic provincial side who are sort of backs against the wall and then all of a sudden you've got this guy who can just get you out with a dribble who's super quick and get in support of Tony and uh, but you look at some of the goals Tony scored in that season again they were just goal kick launched to him he'd bring it down zigzag past two players and, and somehow score I think it links back to what you said earlier also about the nature of of defending particularly in Serie A people started moving away from bigger, more physical defenders because they wanted people who could, who could play out of the back. 
you know, there was a realization that the old defendant counter, like, you know, all of a sudden teams were expected to defend with, you know, a back four and a holding midfielder, right? And everybody else had to try to be more positive, at least on paper. They all said, all right, let's start out playing this way. And so suddenly you had these situations where he was up against people who he could often just physically Bully. manhandle. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if, if you have a big butt and you're strong and the ball comes to your back to goal, and also you're being defended with just one guy, it's not that difficult to go and turn somebody. If on top of that, you can also finish, which, which Tony actually could do, or at least hit the ball really hard towards the goal, then, you know, you're, you're kind of halfway there. It's the same. I, I remember getting really annoyed when somebody, I, I was on Sky Sports News once and some sort of highlights package of Tony's like, oh, look, it's the Italian Peter Crouch. And I'm like, no, it's not. I think when you have that, and obviously physically they're different, right? I mean, Peter Crouch is long and thin. Luca Tony was, was, was a much more physically imposing guy. But when you have size and range and you have the ability to get your shot off quickly, and you're intelligent as well with, with your movement, with, with reading what other people want you, you can carve out a very long career, especially in the way defense has changed. You know, the, I mean, this argument why like Peter Crouch hung around with, with England for so long. And part of it is opposing teams would game plan for something. And then 20 minutes to go, Peter Crouch comes on. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, Peter Crouch is on. What are we going to do? Like, well, you know, how are we going to go and, and change things around? How do we prepare for it? You know, you see defenders freaking out. It's the Fellaini effect. It, it's, it is the Fellaini effect. And it, and it fascinates me how, you know, all these clever coaches with their clipboards and everything, like, all of a sudden they're not prepared mm. for this sort of thing. And I think, obviously, when you play Verona, it's not like Luca Toni suddenly going to appear. You know he's there. Yeah. But it's a different approach that you're going to take relative to how you play the rest of the season. I'm just wondering how well Peter Crouch would have done with an afro. What? <laughs> how devastating a player he would have been. But James, I mean, he spends two years with Verona. Yeah. And he's there. And yeah, as you mentioned, he goes there when he's 38. Yeah. He's the all-time top scorer. No, he's 36, yeah. I think, when he goes. And he's uh, he scores 20 goals the first year. They finish 10th. Mm. The second year, by the age of 38 at this point, 22 goals, joint top scorer with Icardi. Icardi. Tony was the oldest Capocaniere, was it since Dario Hubner? Or I think the oldest in No, he's older even than, than And then, Tantank. yeah, Icardi was the youngest since Paolo Rossi. Oh, how funny. But, I mean, he said, when you finish top scorer and you're 38, yeah. why do you want to quit? You that you feel you're the best striker in the league. Yeah, it's interesting as well, though, that he made the comment about, if I'm doing it, then obviously... Well, also, there was that great, yeah. the great thing, I can't get any slower, can I? So, <laughs> so I might as well keep but, going. But again, this is all stuff that... People have said about Peter Crouch too. And, yeah. um, you go back to that comment, like, who is this guy? Is he a lifeguard? Yeah. I mean, he, he, you could see him running up and down a beach mm. in Malibu yeah. in Baywatch. Rotating you know? <laughs> his hand next to his ear. Do you yeah. want to explain what that means? <laughs> okay, so that he launched a, a celebration that's been taken up by a vast number of players. And, well, his explanation was that it was something that he and his friends used to do over pizza when somebody did or said something that was just ridiculous. Is that right? Yeah, you get it. I capito. I sentido. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. It was like, have you, have you, have you clocked it? Mm. Yeah. So, and then he did it the following weekend um, after that dinner uh -huh. and became superstitious about it. Uh -huh. Which is like, I'm not going not gonna to stop now. And it's he a, didn't stop, James. He did not stop. <laughs> you mentioned Paolo Rossi and... Um, this quote from the Gazette della Sport that, that Luca Toni was the last great Italian centre forward. Would he make an all-time Italy eleven? Where does he rank for you among 
I'm not going to say the Miazzas and Piolas and all that kind of thing, but of the players that we've actually seen in, in action, where, where would you put Luca Toni? I think if you're talking, and I'm assuming they meant in terms of target man type center forwards, for me, and if you go back 25 years, you, I mean, you have to put Christian Vieri ahead yeah, of him, yeah. you know, however short you would. lived. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Christian Vieri was, Christian Vieri was also like, the reason he got hurt all the time is because somebody so big and heavy moved so fast, right? <laughs> what the guy's joints are like. In terms of technical ability, you know, I think neither one is, is going to be like Eugenio Corini, but, you know, mm. I think Vieri maybe edges that. Absolutely, for, I think so. You got Viali in there? I don't know if, you, if Luca would describe himself as, <laughs> okay. a, as a target man. No, I'm thinking a big centre forward. I've been a little bit more simplistic in my yeah. In, in I no, I would put Viali Ravanelli. ahead of I would put Viali ahead of both of them. Ravanelli, where would he fit into this conversation? Okay, sorry. I mean, Ravanelli was very busy right as a centre forward. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't. I Simone don't Zaza, he, what are we? Doing? <laughs> I don't think it you know, when, when he, we wait, do he the, might be a late bloomer, James. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> when we have this conversation yep. in ten years, okay, um, we might include Pietro Pellegrini. Okay, well, you see, that's that. that's something that we ought to come on to because uh, the difference with Italy now, the the lack of a of, of a figure like that in the lineup is is, is stark. And, and and where the next centre forward, the next Italian great striker is coming from, is, is an interesting interesting question. But just to finish off on on Luca Toni. I think you said he enough career for three footballers there. Mm. Just an ex- extraordinary CV he's had. Yeah, and I, th- I think he is. Um, What's he doing now? Because he was briefly director at Verona. He was he was briefly uh, sort of doing what Paolo Maldini does for Leonardo now. He was at Verona. He fell out with the sporting director. He left. And in the summer, he was the figurehead of a consortium to buy Modena, which is his, huh. his local really club. Fun. But they were... They were unsuccessful. All right. right. Well, best of luck to Luca with whatever future endeavours he may have. Very shortly, we'll be back talking about how the Italy side are getting on without him. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. The big game at San Siro with Portugal ended up nil-nil, much like the last big game at San Siro. Had, although rather less depressing this time, Italy played really, really well, really just well. couldn't score any goals. Yeah, really well against a team that obviously is not Cristiano Ronaldo, but what Portugal has shown under Fernando Santos, like I did that, <laughs> is that they know how to defend and be nasty and be tough to beat. Also, Italy wouldn't have won the group anyway, because as it turned out, Portugal ended up with a 1-1 draw against Poland and the, yeah. the other group game. But, I know, so, but mm. and, you know, it's a typical game where Chiro Immobile misses a great chance yeah. early on. And then, you know, that could have completely changed the game. I, yeah. I am not, maybe the minority here, but I judge teams by ratio of chances conceded to mm-hmm. ratio of chances created. Mm-hmm. And I am super bullish on this group of players because they do not concede a lot of chances and they create tons of chances. And sooner or later, statistical variance, they'll right. Is it worth considering what happened on Tuesday night with uh, the United States or does the kind of change nature well, of Italy's lineup? totally different players yeah. against also the US lineup also was mm. a really young yeah, experimental lineup. Why were they playing in Genk? Because there were lots of Italian immigrants there. They went there to work in the mines back in the, back in the day. So there, were, a, yeah. there was a terrible tragedy. Yeah. One of the, I forget what it's called now, but the stadium was basically all all Italian. Uh, some debuts there. Moise Kane um, came on. Sensi was excellent. So, so yeah, who you'd flagged up before? At least Kevin Prince Boateng had flagged him up to you as 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 the kind of the future Verratti. 
yeah. the Verratti Ventura, if you yeah. will. Yeah, well, I went to see... Jorginho may be more so, no? Really? Mm. But when I went to see um, Prince in the last international break, I said, it's, has anyone really surprised you since you've been here? And the first name, he, I mean, he, he spoke, he eulogised about Sensi. He was just, he was, no, this guy is incredible. He's got everything. He just needs to be consistent. And to be fair, yeah, we can say it to... Kevin Prince Bunting loves Sensi. He does, yeah. yes. But that's what I say about him. He's another good example of somebody who, because I think he's from Chisena. He's another guy who works if you play for a team that tries to keep the ball and knock it about. And Sassuolo do that to a fair degree, I think. But prior to that, you know, he was like, he's just like, oh, he's just another dude, you know, mm. because he wasn't playing on teams that that necessarily Yakini. yeah what he isn't though is a striker and, and Italy have now I mean two goals in their last three that's that about under Mancini they only scored more than one goal in a game once and that was against Saudi Arabia so where's the the next Italian striker coming from and can they go anywhere until they have one in the in the you lineup you have to wait for Pietro Pellegrini to get fit he's going to be uh, the real deal yeah currently in Monaco Yes, and injured, um, but learning from Thierry Henry, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Pellegrini is people excited because he is a Luca Toni. He's a Luca Toni body. He's massive for but, his age. I mean, yeah. he and he has the attitude of a guy who just is absolutely, absolutely fearless. Will run you over, um, and is a lovely kid. Now, he's not Ibrahimovic technically, but you know maybe that kind of battering ran. If he's also unselfish. With the little guys around him, with Chiesa and Insigne and Bernard and whatever. Who knows? I mean, yeah. maybe that's your answer. But he's not the only one. I mean, Moise Ken is not a bad player, right? Mm-hmm. And he's still he's still developing. Um, maybe Bilotti will show that what happened three years ago was not some sort of weird accident, freak of nature, you know? Yeah. Dina Monti scored a nice goal. Mm, a wonderful yeah. goal. Yeah, back-to-back games for Frosinone. Yeah. So, yeah. In the I, 89th minute both times. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, Allegri keeps making this point. He's like, I don't know why everyone's so down on the national team here in Italy because mm. the next generation that's coming through, if you look at what they're doing at youth level, on the 17s, finished second in the European Championship last summer, on the 19s, do exactly the same. And the 21s, not quite so much. No, and they're, but we're going to have the European Championships in Italy next next summer, aren't we? So they haven't got any competitive games between now mm. and, and that's a bit of a... Dip. I think that's one of the reasons why Mancini is calling some of these players up, like Tonali, etc., to, to get some proper first-team experience with the senior team. Mm. Well, uh, very shortly, we'll uh, ooh, look at one or two of your questions and also talk about the big games coming up this weekend, around 13 of the City Hours season. James Render says, doing the food shop in Asda, saw Pandora, immediately thought of Marcotti, going off on one, can never eat it again. Good. <laughs> Andrew, have some nice speaking of eating, Andrew says, I'm travelling to Modena and Parma, then Turin. Given uh, James and Gabriele's praise for Modena and Parma as the gastronomic capitals of Italy, which restaurants would they recommend, please? Bar Massimo Bottura, Bottura, which is fully booked. Yeah, good luck getting into uh, Asturia Francescana. All right. I think we got back to him on... uh, You said La Montana. Yeah. Gab, have you got any... Did you get La Montana is not in Bologna, it's not in Modena, it's it's in between Sassuolo and and Modena. Okay. not as expensive as Austria right. Franciscana, right? But it's, I'd say, the best pasta on the planet. Is that right? Yeah, it's wow. a bold, it's a bold statement. Gab, anywhere you'd flag up from Modena and Parma. Michael Schumacher Ooh. said the woman there who cooks was like his second mother. 
because you know, she cooked that well. I feel like when I've been to Turin, il cambio. Okay, il cambio. cambio. Yeah. Nice. Now, next round of action features such delights as the Apennine Derby. People in Zug is Bologna taking on Fiorentina. Lazio are up against Milan. That's a huge game. Fourth against fifth. There's only one point between them. Obviously, bitter rivals for the Champions League places. But perhaps the most significant fixture will occur up in the northwest as uh, Genoa hosts Sampdoria in a very particular Genoa derby. They also have only one point between them. They're both down in the bottom half of the table, five and six points off the relegation places. But uh, as I say, a particular atmosphere because of what happened back in August, the collapse of the Morandi Bridge and what it's meant. And, and also the, 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 the terrible weather they've had, right. um, which has caused all sorts of devastation in all along the coast. I mean, it's a city that's been struggling for years, the decline of the port and all that. And in very real terms, there was a, a human tragedy. of 43 people died in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's all the people who've been Displaced. basically kicked out of their houses. They haven't even... They're, I mean... They're allowed to go back in kind of two-hour slots to try and take something from the before the houses get demolished. It's a, it's a really difficult situation. But the entire city, I mean, because that bridge was so... It's a series of valleys, Genoa, um, with pretty sizable mountains in between. And, and if you take out a bridge like that, all of a sudden nobody can get anywhere. And again, that has knock-on effects for the, for the port. So it's a difficult time, this. Um, and it's going to be... Yeah, it's going to be... I think one of the nice things is the way that there's an atmosphere of solidarity between these two clubs for this game. Yeah, uh, I was there for the Italy-Ukraine game. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, both teams went to see um, the bridge. And there was a number of kind of initiatives that I think both Genoa and Sampdoria party to, which they were agreeing to pay for the, the education of, of the children who've been orphaned by that tragedy. And I think there's been a number of things that they've done between then and, and now um, within the community itself. But um, both of these teams going into this game not in the best of form. Mm. I was with a number of uh, Genoani on on Monday who were uh, pointing out that uh, this game falls on the anniversary of, um, was it in 1991? November 25th, 91, when Branco um, scored a incredible Incredible free 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 kick. kick. I remember it, yeah. Um, And they won 2-1, and that was the year... Samp won the Scudetto, but they've kind of held that, oh, we are still the best team in Genoa. You might be Italy's best, but in this town, we're number one. They haven't won a game since um, Preziosi fired Ballardini, Uh, although they have had a really tough run of fixtures. Of course, um, Juric came in, he had that 1-1 draw with Juventus, and then uh, they faced Napoli and Inter and Milan. Sampdoria might be an easier prospect for them because they've had three straight defeats, the last two of them, They've uh, shipped four goals in each against Torino and Roma. And they had the best defence in the league on that run. Um, I think they'd only shipped two goals. I think Giampaolo's a master when it comes to coaching defence, how to uh, yeah, how to play without the ball. Mm. Um, but I think to some extent things have caught up with them. They, there's so much upheaval at Samp every summer. He just about manages it to keep it together. But I think both of these managers, under pressure from both sets of fans, well, no, I think Giampaolo's under pressure from the fans... Juric is under pressure because his his owners 
So then Enrico Enrique. Preziosi, he keeps right. bringing him back and then keeps sacking him after Genoa derbies. Yeah. So that was interesting. Was, yeah, so. <laughs> interesting. So that's how, when is that game? That's so, Sunday night. Right. I have to see if Piontek gets back on his... Yeah, who it was revealed Sampdoria turned down. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, all of these things. This, I mean, like, I went to see Suzo before the Milan derby. It's like, I turned into down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's whenever there's a, a big game mm. between rivals, you know, you can guarantee there'll be a Lazio player saying... I could have signed for Rome and didn't. So. Uh, or in this case, Milan. When's the Lazio-Milan game? That's before. That's the aperitivo. Oh, so nice. At okay. five. All right. But yeah, Milan very much the walking dead at the yes. moment. Bonaventura out for eight months. Yeah. They've been so unlucky with uh, with injuries, especially. Romagnoli's out. Yeah. Bilia's out. Mm. Bonaventura. Uh, like like suspended. Do, do you think we'll get to find out if Jose Maori can actually play? <laughs> do you think we might see him? Hey, Are they just going to run out of bodies? He was playing a he's playing the, against the youth team mm-hmm. um, and uh, scored a few goals. As did Andrea Conti, oh. who's back. I think we're quite excited to see Conti. But the other knock-on effect to all this might be that Milan go back on the market. And who's the big name who's been flagging up a potential return to San Siro? Well, Okay, so I'm going to give you a tiny bit of insight on in how the, the media works. But Slatan Ibrahimovic, obviously, uh, season's over with the LA Galaxy. In Gazzetta dello Sport uh, on, well, yesterday, mm-hmm. Tuesday, huge thing about, like, you know, Ibra offers himself up, like, oh, I'll come for six months and you'll experience the Slatan and blah, blah, blah. And it's obviously, like, you know, classic come and get me plea. And then today they're pushing the story further. Um, Il Milan vibra. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I have no idea if any Ibrahimovic Iguain partnership. You know, seems like a, seems like an absolute throwback. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do you think? Hig- what do you think Higuain thinks about this as well? No, I mean, what do you think Cutrone thinks about? But we mentioned Italian strikers uh-huh. like who could be useful. If we didn't mention his name. Um, but then again, you know, if you want to get buzz and some commercial appeal and blah blah, you know, and some girls probably. Yeah, the guy can play. Yeah. The guy is Ibra, right? Hey, yeah. look, I, I mean, mean, if, if Luca Tony Tony... could do it, <laughs> bring, me, bring him back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, listen, that's that's all we got time for today on Golad. So many thanks for being with us. James and Gabriele, you'll be with us next week. We'll have to work out what we're going to talk about then. If you've got any special requests, mm-hmm. do let us know, listener, and uh, we'll be back to round up all of that kind of thing next week. For now, from all of us here, it's a Rivadurci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>